0: Music's off. Everything's good. All right. So, Father, we thank you, Lord, right now for tonight. Lord, we come together in agreement that you would bless this time and, Lord, that you would come speak through me. Lord, I pray by the power and presence of your Holy Spirit, Lord, that you would move in such a way to help us to give you our best ear, our full attention, our focus on what you're speaking that there won't be any type of um, distractions in the mind or thinking about other things, but we really get focused on what you're speaking tonight by the power of the Holy Spirit. Lord, help us to have eyes of the Spirit and ears of the Spirit, anointed eyes, anointed ears, to be able to get out of this what you're wanting to do. And Lord, I pray as you speak through me, your words of life will go out as living seeds of truth sown, and to good for all so of hearts and minds and lives, watered by the Holy Spirit. Take root, grow, and produce a hundredfold harvest of eternal fruit that remains until Jesus comes. And, Lord, as you speak through me, I pray, Lord, this will go out like a mighty hammer and break down every stronghold, a sword that cuts away everything that needs to go. And, Lord, the word of the Lord will go forth and bear fruit. Lord, water these living seeds of truth by your Holy Spirit in every life. And cause them to take root, grow, and produce a hundredfold harvest of eternal fruit that remains. And Lord, that there'll be a washing of the water of the word. There'll be a light of truth dispelling all the darkness, lies, the evil, and deception of the enemy. And bring truth and revelation. And Lord, bless this time. Lord, we thank you for it in Jesus' name. I feel these words are important over these next three weeks. I pray, Lord, you would help us to give you our best ear and our full attention and focus. And get everything out of this because... These are preparation for the revival. And so, Lord, help us during this time. We bind the enemy that would try to bring any type of distraction or hindrance and try to steal the seed. The the Bible says the birds of the air try to steal the seed. We bind that now in Jesus' name that the enemy has no power, and we command him to go in the name of Jesus. And, Lord, we thank you for the winds of your spirit carrying this where it's supposed to go and your angels watching over to make sure everything's going to be accomplished in and through this time that your will to be done. We bless you. And thank you for it right now in Jesus' name. All right. So I'm going to entitle these next three sermons. Everything should be going for Zach. We need to entitle these next three sermons. Um, Revival Preparation. And this will really help you to make sure that we're ready for what God is wanting to do in the coming days. Okay. So please give me your best, dear. Take some notes if something speaks to you. And let me just say about this sermon, this has to do with standing up for the Lord. It has to do with, um, you know, defending um, what pleases the Lord. And I think that this will make a lot of sense to you as we go where I'm coming from. But just to lay some groundwork, let me go through when Jacob spoke a blessing over his, um, his children before he died. This was in the book of Genesis. And as Jacob spoke this blessing, it was really powerful. And as he went down through this, here's some things I need to say up front, okay? Number one, Reuben was Jacob's firstborn son. So Reuben should have had the first chance, if you will, to have the priesthood on his shoulders, to have the kingly line like Judah ended up with. He should have had that on his shoulders. He should have had um, that firstborn blessing, if you will. You remember how there was a double portion there. But Reuben made a very huge mistake. He ended up going to um, Bilhah, which was one of Jacob's wives' um, concubines. Okay, He went and he, he slept with her. And the Bible says Jacob heard about him. And Reuben when he sinned like that, he dishonored his father, he dishonored the authority over him, and he sinned. And whenever it was time for Jacob to bless his children, he started with Reuben, but he spoke over him that he would not reach preeminence, but rather that he would just be simply dispersed in Israel. And it's sad because you never really hear anything great about the Reubenites in the Bible. And that's sad, because this was Jacob's firstborn. There should have been a double portion. There should have been blessings. There should have been a powerful move of God there. But instead, it did not take place. And I know also with um, Simeon, which was... um, Jacob's second born. Simeon, can you turn that down for some reason? That's up right there, please. Turn that down. Mom, can you do it? You know how. Thank you. Simeon was Jacob's second born. And Simeon should have had also um, some kind of preeminence there. But Simeon, the Bible says this in Genesis 49, verse 5. If you remember the story, their, um, their sister... Jacob's sons had this one sister, Dinah, and she was a part, she went over, they were living by the Shechemites, and those people, um, one of the sons there, the king took advantage of her and slept with her and defiled her. It was basically a rape. And Simeon and Levi got so angry and they deceived the people there And then they went in and they slaughtered that city at night. They went in, I mean, took them by the sword, killed all the men. It was a massacre. And this was against Jacob's wishes for them to do this. And so here's what Jacob said when he was blessing his sons. Next he spoke to Simeon and he said about Simeon, Simeon and Levi are brothers. Their swords are implements of violence. Let my soul not enter their council. Let not my glory be united with their assembly because in their anger they slew men and in their self-will they lamed oxen. Cursed be their anger for it is fierce and their wrath for it is cruel. I will disperse them in Jacob and scatter them in Israel. Once again, you see that Simeon, it's like they they were simply dispersed in Israel but you don't really read anything great about the Simeonites. Is anybody following what I'm saying? This is sad because these firstborn of Jacob should have been great. And it's grievous. But see, even though you have something laid before you, you have to be careful. Reuben had laid before him such an inheritance being the firstborn, but because of the fact that he dishonored his authority and because of the fact he sinned against God like that, he ended up never really amounting to everything that God wanted him to. Now Simeon, what that represents is anger and unforgiveness. Simeon had undisciplined emotions. He would lose his temper. He had a lack of wisdom. And he obviously harbored unforgiveness in his heart. And how many of you guys know, if we're not careful, that these very issues I'm speaking about right now can really hinder us from our purposes that God has for us. It doesn't matter who we are. If we allow ourselves to dishonor God, dishonor authority, and have unrepentant sin in our lives, we allow ourselves to get in unforgiveness and bitterness, and act out of anger and do things out of anger like that. These are the type of things that if we don't repent and deal with this stuff, it can end up costing us. And it was interesting, I'm going to come back to this at the end of the sermon about Levi. Levi was next now to bless the third. And you remember, you just, I just read this to you, that, that Levi joined with Simeon to slaughter that family, uh, or rather the Shechemites, to go in there and do that. And Jacob was displeased with both of them. And he said over both Simeon and Levi, he said, Cursed be their anger, you'll be dispersed in Israel. But it's interesting, because that did happen to Simeon. But later on, Levi turned things around. You know, it reminds me of what Billy Graham said. It's not about how you start, it's how you finish. Many times there are people, and I, I feel this way too, that you don't feel like you necessarily started really well. In your early walk in Christianity, you were, you were struggling some with past sins. You, you feel like that things weren't really going the way they need to be going. But God taught you how to overcome You may not have started well, but you ended well. And Levi, even though it didn't really start out good with him, Levi, later on, showed a great zeal for righteousness and holiness and stood up for the Lord. And let me tell you the story. So the golden calf took place. You remember how Aaron, the people brought the stuff to him? And when Moses came down and confronted Aaron, listen, Aaron said this. He goes, Moses, I don't know what happened. You know these people. You know how they are. They were threatening me, and they brought all this stuff to me, and yeah, I threw it in the fire. And pop, out came this calf. You know, and trying to play it off. And, but anyway, when all this happened, Moses, God was up there. God began to burn with anger against Israel, and Moses began to burn with anger. He pleaded with God, but he went down, and he threw down the Ten Commandments that God Himself had written with His finger. He threw those tablets down, destroyed them. He came down, and I mean, he just went off on the people. And he told, the, he told the people, those who are with the Lord, gather unto me. Strap a sword to your side and go through and, and kill those that were involved in this. And listen, this is where it turned around. The Levites, they ran unto Moses. And there was something about them that was zealous for the righteousness and holiness of God. And they strapped a sword to their side. And they began to go through the camp. And they began to kill all the people that were involved in that, including family members. And God saw that. He saw their zeal. And there were 3,000 that died. And I believe that that's when things began to turn for Levi right there. Because when it came time that God needed a tribe, that he could place the responsibility of being able to carry the ark on their shoulders. To carry his presence. He needed a tribe that he could trust that would go into the Holy of Holies, you know, Aaron's descendants, and that would make atonement for the people. Those that could go in and keep themselves pure and go in and burn incense in him daily and keep that morning and evening sacrifice going. He needed a tribe he could trust. It didn't start good with Levi, but Levi began to turn the thing around because something happened in this tribe that they began to have a zeal for God's righteousness. His holiness. And they, they stood up for the Lord. Now I'm going to explain this here in a moment. I want you to remember these. As I talk tonight, I want you to remember these attributes. Reuben. He dishonored God. He sinned. He didn't deal with it. Simeon. He lost his temper. He held unforgiveness. He would do things he shouldn't have done. That anger. But then Levi. Levi began to turn things around in, in his tribe. Later on. Alright here's, here's Judah. So Judah. We know the story that he. Later on as he had children. That there was a woman. Tamar that was of the Canaanites. That married one of his sons. And he died. And then his other son was supposed to marry her and produce offspring and then he died and Jacob was afraid to give his third son to her afraid that he would die and um, Jacob withheld that which was not right for him to do and to make a very long story short Tamar tricked him she she knew he wasn't going to um, give his son to her like he should over time and so she pretended to be a prostitute and Jacob uh, Judah himself laid with her and she conceived. And when he found out, he didn't know it was her, but when he found out that she had conceived, he began to get very angry, and he was going to have her killed because he thought that you know she was being unfaithful to his family. And whenever he came to her, she had uh, taken some of his, his staff and, and um, insignia and showed it to him, and he realized why she did it. And here's the thing that made Judah great. Even though Judah was not right about some things, and he definitely made some mistakes, in this he humbled himself and he repented y'all hear what i'm saying even before this young lady that was a lot younger than him even before her he humbled himself down and said you're more righteous than i in this situation and he repented and he was sincere and god saw something in judah Now I'm going to tell you something. Judah's great, 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 great grandson, King David, God saw something in David that was special too. But even when God called David to be the king, God knew the future and knew that David later on would end up having a man killed and sleep with his wife. God knew that was going to happen one day. But David humbled himself down before the Lord. And he really repented. If you read the Psalms, he sincerely repented. And let me tell you something. Levi... God had to see something. He was looking for a tribe in Levi. I need somebody that's going to be zealous for my righteousness. That's going to be zealous for my holiness. That I can entrust them to to keep themselves clean and go in and minister unto me. Make atonement for the people. He's looking. God's looking for somebody he could trust. Now he's looking for somebody because Reuben forfeited all of this. He's looking for a tribe. Who can I lay this royal line on? Which line is going to carry the seed of the Messiah? And he's looking. What makes somebody great in the eyes of God? He's looking and he finds Judah, a tribe where he sees that they're willing, even though they're wrong, they're willing to humble themselves before God and repent. And let me tell you something. If you're wanting to be somebody... That's going to be used of God in the days to come. And I'm saying this because this is preparation for revival. And I hope you all hear me tonight. If you're really wanting God to use you, you're going to have to be like Levi. You may not have started good. You may feel like that you have a past that, you know, you've made some mistakes. And you feel like that, that you've, you've struggled in your past Christian walk. But God's looking for somebody now that's going to be strapping a sword to their side and they're zealous for his righteousness and holiness now. That's what he's looking for. I'm looking for somebody that I can entrust with my presence. And when it comes to somebody that can carry an authority, that royal line, okay, like Judah, that can carry that kingly authority, that God can entrust them with that, and you're going to be used in spiritual authority and power, You're going to be able to be um, seeing Book of Acts Christianity where the sick are healed, demons are fleeing, the power of God's coming down. There's a mantle. You've got authority. You know what God's looking for? He's not looking for perfect people because there's no such thing as perfect people. He's looking for somebody that will humble themselves before him and repent and mean it. That's what makes people great in the eyes of God not perfection because nobody's perfect there's not a perfect church there's not a perfect preacher there's not a perfect worship leader there's not a perfect altar worker there's not a perfect person going out evangelizing nobody's perfect but what God's looking for is somebody that's humble and that will repent and say Lord I'm sorry I really truly repent and get things right with him and they mean it and so what happens is now as Jacob is speaking blessings he gets to Zebulun I'm going to stop here as he spoke over Zebulun, he said to Zebulun, you're going to be a haven for ships. It was really interesting because that's where they ended up later residing. The power of blessings being spoken. They're so powerful that it caused these things to happen that some, some people still this day say that he prophesied. He didn't prophesy, he blessed them. It's just that blessings are powerful enough to actually make the thing happen. But Zebulun lived by the coast. And they became a haven for ships. You know what made Zebulun great? They accepted their destiny. And let me tell you something. There's people out there that God has called them. And God's hands upon their life. But they never really move into all God has for them. There's people out there that are called to pastor some of them never even accept the call. They stay in a secular job. Others that accept the call, they'll go somewhere where the pay is good and the people, they get along with the people fine. <clears throat> it's a good place for their kids. They've got good programs. It's got a good retirement set up for them. And so therefore... You know, it's kind of like, well, you know, God's called me to do this. And, I, and he ends up settling into that place. But deep down, he knows that this isn't really what God's called him to do. But rather, he's settled into something that's comfortable. God's looking for a people that will not do things like that, but they want to press into him for their destiny. There's a difference. A call of God is not a job per se. It's a destiny. It's doing what God's called you to do and trusting him to provide. Some people out there are just doing it as a means of employment. It's just a job. How many people out there have a call of God on their life, but they don't ever spend time in prayer? They aren't really in the word. They aren't really serious about their call. And God's looking down through his people. Just like in this, God was looking for a tribe. What tribe can I entrust to carry my presence? What tribe can I entrust to carry spiritual authority? What tribe can I entrust now to be like an oasis of my presence? Zebulun became a haven for ships like an oasis. And even, you know, prophetically, even in Jesus' day... The book of Matthew bears this out and says that Jesus went down to the area of Zebulun to fulfill what Isaiah the prophet said that these people have seen a great light. And God rewarded Zebulun because they accepted their destiny in God. That's what they were called to do was to be a haven for ships and an oasis. And if you will accept your destiny in God and be serious about it, and not compromise it. Okay, so I'm called to preach. So then you go look for some kind of comfortable, cozy little job somewhere. That's not necessarily fulfilling your destiny in God. But if you will accept your destiny in God, the road may be very challenging. But God will make you an oasis. A haven for ships. Where people can come And there's something that's there in the way of the presence and power of God for people to be refreshed. And I don't know about you, but I want to be one that there's a zeal for the righteousness and holiness of God. That like Levi, God can entrust me to carry the ark. And to be able to go into his presence. Like Judah, I want to be somebody that will humble myself before him and repent. And get right with him whatever I need to get right and mean it. So that he can entrust me with spiritual authority. And I want to be like Zebulun and I want to accept my destiny in God. So that I can become an oasis where he's going to pour out his spirit. So let me kind of come off that and talk about a few things. I'm going to come back to that in a moment. Be careful with cult-like teachers. Well, I hope you guys hear me with this because I'm talking about tonight standing up for the Lord. In Matthew 15:14, Jesus was talking about the Pharisees and the Sadducees and He said this, Leave them. They are blind gods. How many of you guys know that there are blind gods out there? They don't have a clue what they're talking about. There was a preacher that I knew when I was young, grew up, you know, he was our pastor for a time, but he really tried to steer me away from revival back in the 90s. He told me it wasn't of God and all this stuff. And thank God I didn't listen to him. It would have ruined my life, honestly. You guys, we wouldn't be here now. There would not be a revival going on in my life, and there certainly wouldn't be this here today. you got to be careful who you're listening to. Not everybody knows what they're talking about. Jesus said, if the blind lead the blind, they both fall into a pit. Everybody is following. Steve Hill always said that everybody's following somebody, and that's true. Everybody is to a degree. You're following somebody. Make sure the person that you're following and you're looking to for spiritual guidance knows what they're talking about. Make sure that they, they're a person of prayer, they're in the Word, and they're preaching the truth, and they're a man or woman of God. Because not everybody is. Matthew 7 6. <clears throat> this is equally important. Do not give what is holy to dogs. And do not throw your pearls before swine, or they will trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. Please hear me. What God does in your life will be so precious and treasured to you, but it won't be to everybody else. Please hear what I'm saying. There are some people out there that have no filter. And no wisdom. They blab everything. Whatever's going on, whatever God told them, whatever they saw, whatever they experienced, whatever, they just blab just blab their mouth everywhere to everybody, just indiscriminately. And let me give you an example. Let's say that you went to this church and you were so hungry. And you had just read in the Bible about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. You saw the day of Pentecost, Acts 2. You saw how they were filled with the Spirit. And you were like, man, I want that so bad in my life. I want God to touch me like that. And you went to church, and you were crying, you were worshiping, and the Holy Spirit fell on you. You collapsed on the ground, you started crying, you started speaking in tongues. You had this encounter with God. To you, it was the most glorious thing you've ever experienced. And I'm not digging on anybody. Please hear me. I'm not being negative. But you know as well as I do that the, the Baptist background, they don't like that. They, they feel that tongues are of the devil. Okay, we all know that. It's not a criticism, it's just the truth. And so you go to work, and you've got this Baptist coworker, And you start telling about your experience. Next thing you know, they're making fun of you. They feel like it was demonic and stupid and emotional. And now they've got other people in the break room sitting around laughing and pointing at you, making fun of you. Now was that God and was that wisdom? Or was that casting pearls before swine? What I'm trying to say is not everybody's going to understand what's going on. And you've got to use wisdom. There's people out there, believe it or not, guys listen to me. There was a man and during the Brownsville revival, I believe his last name was Wilhite, but I could be wrong. But he was a principal. And at this school where he was the principal god had just totally touched his life in this revival i mean he was so on fire for god some of you guys may have saw the story and the students were going to the revival at brownsville and they were being so touched i mean god they were getting sin out of their life they were getting on fire for god they were going to school and witnessing to their classmates and i mean the holy spirit was falling in the school in fact, I'm just telling you how powerful this was in different places. This revival was so powerful. You guys know as well as I do that young people aren't going to do something like this because, you know, young people tend to, to be a little insecure about um, doing something that would make people point at them and make fun of them. But there were kids that were being so touched at school, they were weeping. They were falling on the ground at school, okay, shaking of the power. That's how powerful God was moving. And other students were seeing this, and they knew it had to be God. Anyway, they started, some of them would go to this principal. And they were asking him, and he was, you know, once you ask, okay, and he was, he was telling them about Jesus, they were getting saved. There were even young people in his office that were getting healed. They would come to him, with, they were sick, and they would ask him to pray for them. He'd pray for them, they'd get healed. And some of them would come to him and go, listen, my friends got saved at the revival. I want to go. My parents don't care anything about it. And so he would, you know, get a group of them together, take them to the revival. But he was saying, this may be hard for you to believe and hard for me to believe, but he said that there were parents out there that do not want their kids around anything to do with God. And that some of those parents got very upset and they told their kids, this is a bunch of hype, this is a bunch of crazy garbage. You, and they really believed this. These are some parents, I know some of you think, yeah, right, this happened. Some of these parents wanted their kids to be out messing around sexually and partying and doing other things because they felt that's what normal kids do. And then by them being on fire for God and wanting to go to church all the time, that somehow they had gotten all, you know, weird, hyper spiritual. That's horrible. But that's the way some people are. And I'm trying to tell you be careful. God may give you a precious dream or a vision that you have. You may see some kind of vision. You, you have some kind of powerful encounter with God. But don't expect everybody to really value and appreciate what God did for you. Be careful not to cast pearls before swine and give what's sacred to dogs. And let me say this too. God can't trust people with spiritual authority and with revelation that, that are blabbermouths that just go around telling everything. If you were the CEO of a company and you had very sensitive information, would you tell that sensitive information to somebody that worked for you that you knew that they would blab it to everybody? So we've got to learn to have some wisdom. Be careful who you're following and be careful that you're not telling people things that is going to cause you unnecessary persecution and rejection in your life. But be careful who you're following. Let me read some of this. There are some people out there. I'm trying to prepare you for revival. Because revivals come to America. And this ministry is going to see a revival. And every revival in times past, historically all of them have had critics. And if you think that us seeing a move of God and we're not going to have critics. It doesn't work like that. And so I'm trying to prepare you for things that are coming. So there are people out there that they act like they're the only ones preaching the truth. They'll have people kind of around them that will say things to them like, you know, you're the only one that's telling it like it is, you know. And they, they've got, they live in some kind of a strange place <laughs> mentally where they feel like they've got all the answers. And anybody... That they don't agree with out there. They want to criticize them. And tear them down and destroy them. These are the critics. They throw around words all the time. I mean all the time. False prophet this. False teacher this. About people that are not necessarily that. But they use those words all the time. I mean pretty much everything they write. That's going to be somewhere in it. And they're all about tearing others down. They act like they're some kind of a spiritual watchdog. But see, here's the interesting thing. A lot of times the very people that are always saying, false prophet this, false teacher this, major deceiver this, false revival this, da-da-da-da, you know, they're the very ones that you don't need to be listening to. And let me explain to you why. Jesus said, I send you as the lambs among the wolves. They have the nature in them, spiritually speaking, of the wolf. They're wanting to attack God's people and tear them to pieces. What does a wolf do? A wolf circles the sheep and wants to attack the sheep and rip them to pieces. They're the ones that are carrying the very nature of the wolf. And then they go around crying wolf all the time about everybody else. They have a very strong religious spirit. There was a vision someone had years ago. I, I can't remember who wrote this and maybe some have read it. But they saw the body of Christ and there was these two different warring camps. And, and they were constantly you know, building and then the other person would destroy what they built back and forth. And they had got like their eyes were all bloodshot. And the blood in their eyes, it was the blood of Cain. It was like a murder. They wanted to destroy other people. It was really interesting. And let me just warn you that just because we don't agree with something doesn't mean you need to try to destroy it. Amen? Come on. In the body of Christ, just because there's a church over here that may preach a little different doesn't mean I'm going to try to destroy them. Remember Jesus said that the people were, were doing stuff in his name and his disciples were like, hey, these guys are doing stuff in your name. And he said, leave them alone. A strong religious spirit, strong religious spirit, has to do with unrighteous judgment, criticism, fault finding, always wanting to debate and argue. And they want to destroy what they don't agree with. They also want to take people backward. These are modern day Pharisees. They they hate revival, they hate the move of God. They'll use the Bible, but they use it in a way that's twisted. Like the way Satan did Jesus, remember? Can't throw yourself from the temple. Doesn't the Bible say, yada, yada. But he did it in a perverted, twisted way. They'll use the Bible, but it's got that religious twist on it to oppose revivals. If they had it their way, everybody would be exactly like them dead, dry, sterile, in a dead, dry place, spiritually in a dead, dry church where everything's just ritual and form. Extreme legalism, focusing on the outward, and man-structured services. You know, we have a general pattern here, You know, but the Holy Spirit, I'm always like, Holy Spirit, whatever you want to do. You need to give the Holy Spirit elbow room, whatever He wants to do, and not structure things too much that where God's not going to move. When revival breaks out fully and it's coming to America and it's going to come to River of Life big time, what God's been doing now, and all of us would say it's been awesome, all it's been is God warming us up and getting us ready. That's it for what's coming. And when revival fully breaks out, there's going to be a supernatural harvest, an incredible move of God, and I'm trying to help everybody to get ready for the fact that there's always critics against revival. So here's the two extremes. 1 Timothy 4, 1-4. through 4, In that area it says that there would be doctrines of demons. There would be people that fall away from the faith. Um, seducing spirits. But it was interesting because Paul, when Paul wrote this, he's, he's looking down toward the last days. So I want you to think about this for a minute. Here's a guy that's like looking down through time like through a telescope of 2,000 years and he's predicting in the latter days that there was going to be a falling away of the faith from, for some, falling away and that there would be doctrines of demons seducing spirits he said that there would be people that are misrepresenting the Lord they have a seared conscience they're hypocritical liars and then he goes on to say something really interesting. He says that they forbid to marry. And then he said they forbid people from eating certain kinds of foods, which God created all food to be eaten and enjoyed. And you're reading this and you're like, if you don't, if you don't really understand what Paul's saying, it doesn't make sense. It's like, what exactly is... And what Paul's saying here is this. When you're driving down the road, there's going to be a ditch on each side of the road. And it has surprised me to see that on one side over here, there's a ditch where people seem to be getting into, uh, you know, this, what I mean by high church, if you guys know what I'm talking about, like Catholicism, Eastern Orthodox, other things that, that are very religious and people will wear the robes they carry the incense everybody stands at one time sits at another they repeat things it's all very religious it has a form of godliness and you look at it on the surface and you think that it looks so pious and so religious but it has a form of godliness denying the power and these people there's high church and what paul's saying here when he said they forbid to marry i believe it was a reference down the road to the catholic church one day and i'm not against them because i believe that there's people in catholicism that know jesus i really do i believe that there are christians there and i love all of them i'm not against them but without getting off on a rabbit trail the vatican does not believe in the gospel of jesus christ and so we're not we're dealing with a cult but anyway it's interesting that paul would make that reference they forbid to marry because he said this long before hundreds of years before there was any type of any you know catholic church or anything but outside of the catholic church you see so many other types of churches that the people that go there don't necessarily know the lord are y'all hear what i'm saying it's just religion and the Bible warns in 2 Timothy 3, he talked about in the latter days, there would be men that are boastful and proud and lovers of money and abusive and all these things. And he said they have a form of godliness, but they deny the power thereof. From such, turn away. And then he goes on to saying they forbid certain kinds of foods. And it has surprised me. I love the Hebrew roots. I teach on the Hebrew roots. But it has really surprised me that some people have gotten back into this stuff that the, the whole reason Paul wrote the book of Galatians in the first place was to deal with some of this stuff. And they're trying to get people back into a place where they've got to be circumcised, they've got to eat kosher, they've got to do all these things to come back under rabbinic Judaism to somehow be right with God. And so what you're dealing with, you're dealing with a ditch on each side of the road and Paul's saying, stay the course. And it's interesting to me because around 300 AD there was a group of, called the Ebionites a cult that required circumcision to be saved. And so you have that extreme again but also at the same exact time you had in the large metropolitan areas like Roman Alexandria you had a church that had taken on the Roman Greek paganism. Are y'all hear what I'm saying? Think about what I just said. Even back then around 300 AD you still had the ditch on each side of the road. So be careful who you're following that they know where they're going. They need to know the Lord. They need to have um, good doctrine in these latter days. They need to know the power of God. They need to know, you know, the thing is, there are people out there that they don't even know the Lord at all. They're not born again. I remember hearing a preacher talk about how he went to Egypt and there was this guy whose name was Mark and. And he was kind of surprised, you know, he's like, it's in a Middle Eastern name, it's definitely a Christian name. He said, yeah. He said, we're basically split in our area of either, either you're a Muslim or a Christian. And so I was born to a Christian family. And his concept of Christianity had absolutely nothing to do with being born again, had nothing to do with a relationship, had nothing to do with scriptural knowledge. He just simply, by virtue of the fact that everybody in his village was Christian instead of Muslim. There's got to be a new birth. Let me start closing this out. Being willing to be controversial and be persecuted. This is what I'm concerned about. Galatians 1.10 For I am now, he said, For am I now seeking the favor of men or of God? Or am I striving to please men? If I were trying to please men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. Y'all bear with me. I pray the Holy Spirit just stir this up in us right now and get us locked in. If, we, if we're going to be a God-pleaser, you cannot be a man-pleaser. You're going to be one or the other. You'll never be able to be both. In Luke six twenty six, Jesus said, Woe to you when all men speak well of you. For their fathers used to treat the false prophets in the same way. How I many knows if everybody likes you, there's a problem. If you're going to be preaching the truth and you're going to be a church that's about the truth and the power of God and being a book of Acts church I'm going to tell you something not everybody's going to like you. When the Pharisees when the Jezebels and when the Judases are against you it's a good sign. I want you all to hear me with this part right here. This is really what this sermon's about more than anything else. What's going to happen in the days to come? I don't know who's going to win the elections. What's going to happen in the days to come in America if preachers are put in prison for preaching the truth? Are you going to fall away from the faith? Is all of a sudden now it's too dangerous to go to church or are you just going to stay home? We're going to have to make up our minds that come hell or high water, come Jezebel spirits, come spiritual warfare, come persecution from the government, whatever comes our way, we're going after God. And I'm concerned a lot of Americans don't understand that. What's going to happen if it becomes illegal and we have to go underground? See, a lot of churches even now, under just the pressure of being politically correct, will wimp out and be a bunch of sissies and will compromise the word of God now when it's not even hard. The only thing that's going to happen to you if you speak the truth now is some people won't like you. Whoa, you know, wow. You know, what's going to happen whenever you're going to go to jail? Are we really willing to preach the whole Bible, even the parts that people don't like, or are we want it to be, you know, like Twinkies and and Oreo cookies all the time and chocolate milk, where it's just about how God loves you and how great you are and how your life can be so great here and now, or are we going to be preaching things like, let's get things right with God? Are we willing to be book of Acts Christianity? The very church Jesus Christ planted this. God dropped this in my spirit a long time ago. The Lord showed me that when Jesus physically walked the earth, that he called 12 to be with him. He personally discipled them for three and a half years. And then when he left, he told them, you go into Jerusalem. Those men planted the early church. This early church you read about in the book of Acts is a direct result of the ministry of jesus christ this is the church he planted in the earth and what a far cry most of christianity is from that and god put in my spirit a long time ago get back to book of acts christianity all right so here's what i want to ask because i'm, I'm concerned about this in a very sincere way are you really willing R- river of life everybody here Are you willing to be controversial and misunderstood? Because, see, let me tell you, Sandy and I have been through enough now. You know, you get under an anointing up here, and sometimes you don't mean to, but you sound a little bit like John Wayne or something, all right? So let me just make sure I'm saying stuff the right way. I mean it. I want to make sure I say this the right way because Sandy and I really do love everybody deeply. We really do. We talk about that sometimes as we pray at night how thankful we are for such a wonderful church. And we mean it. And I thank God every day for our church. I thank God for you and, and everything he's given us. Okay, so this is from, you know. But anyway, down the road, I have seen people in the past, I would have never thought in a million years would turn out like they did. But something of the devil slithered into their life they got weird and they turned against us and what I'm trying to say is when spiritual warfare comes if this was to happen to somebody else in River of Life, we love you and we'll forgive you but the only thing that's going to accomplish is you being removed when the Holy Spirit is fully you know, being poured out you're not going to be here to enjoy that but Sandy and I are still going to be going after God so what I'm saying is if somebody gets bent out of shape and they get ticked at me and all of a sudden now they got a problem with some of this stuff I'm going to be talking about, the only thing that's going to accomplish is them ended up being offended and leaving, but we're still going to be preaching it. We're still going to be praying for people. We're still going to be serving God with or without people. That you know. And what I'm saying, this is a loving warning. Be careful that it doesn't happen to you. Sandy and I have seen people, and this is the truth, you'll know that I'm not exaggerating, people that their lives were totally changed in our ministry. They were physically healed of stuff that was serious. They they mentally, emotionally were healed, their whole lives were totally transformed. But something got in their life that they had such an arrogance and such a defiance and such a rebellion. Now this is not an exaggeration. Even my wife and I would try to talk to him. My wife was crying trying to talk to him. And they are looking at each other snickering and laughing. Okay. That type of stuff. That type of stuff has happened. And you think how can that get to that place. That somebody's had such a personality change. Be careful that the enemy doesn't get in your life. And start changing who you are. And here's how a lot of times he'll do it. A religious spirit will attack and get people confused here's just a quick list, this isn't exhaustive but here's some things that are controversial but I'm not going to back away from them I've never really been, by the grace of God I've never really been one to back away from being controversial if I believe it's the word of God and one of them is, is the deliverance ministry I have seen a lot of people by the grace of God over the years that have been delivered of things. Where would some of you be? Where would even some of the people that's betrayed me be today if they didn't get delivered of stuff? But I'm not going to back away from deliverance. And so here's the thing. When revival starts raging, y'all hear me, everybody give me your best. And when revival really starts raging, things start opening up and all of a sudden that harvest starts coming in. And now the messages and what is going on is starting to get more known. Now, without us meaning to, this is starting to, the sacred is starting to get to the ears of the dogs. The, the pearls are starting to fall around the swine. <laughs> and the critics out there are starting to hear about what's going on. And, and some of the things that they're going to attack, I'm just telling you, they're not going to like the deliverance ministry. And they're going to have an issue with the fact of Christian's getting set free, which I'll never understand. Don't ask me to understand why people don't like others getting free, but they don't. And so just be ready for that. And let me explain it to you. Listen to me. Whenever I got saved in January 95, I really gave my life to the Lord. I moved to Dallas. And I was working at this job, and the people there, were from a certain background that they did not like tongues and they did not like the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And they really gave me a hard time about it. And, I, you know, I just didn't agree with them. I didn't make a thing about it. They made a thing about it. They kept on, you know. They wanted me to agree with them. I was like, you're just wrong. And I was just, you know, so you're just wrong. I, and so finally I got tired of it. And so I said, you know, I'm going to go look in this for myself. And I just did this on my own. But I decided I was going to write like a, a, a personal thesis on this, you know. And I began to go through the Bible, and I studied the thing out. I wanted to know. And finally, when I was done with it, I typed the thing up. And this was back in the days of Windows 95 or something. So you know I really worked hard, amen. And I, I typed it up, and, and I was like, you want a copy of it? And they didn't want to, you know, they didn't want the truth. They just wanted to argue with me. They just wanted to believe what they want to believe, and they didn't want the truth. And they left me alone after that. Because how many knows if you write a thesis? (laughs) So what I'm saying is, some people are too wimpy. I'm not trying to be mean, but they really are. Some people are too wimpy. When criticism comes and persecution comes, and, and they're getting made fun of, they're getting mocked, they can't handle it. You know, there's some pastors out there that something will be you know, written up in the newspaper some blog on the internet or whatever and they're like oh we've got to shut down the revival now and they, and they really do they, they move on from it I'm not going to do that I've got one life to live and I'm going to make it count the best I know how and so one of the issues they're going to have is the deliverance ministry and you're going to have to do like I did and you're going to have to get within yourself um, a personal revelation about this and you're going to have to study it out And I really recommend the two books by Derek Prince called They Shall Expel Demons and Blessings and Curses You Can Choose. Those are two excellent books that will help you. But this is an area. And when I say this, we've been through some stuff already. You guys know. My daughter will tell you. Not everybody likes this deliverance stuff, do they? And so, yeah. Here's another one. The power of God. I would say the majority of the people that have come through River of Life and not stayed, and maybe they had a problem or whatever, the overwhelming majority, probably 90%, had to do with the power of God. But I am not going to say, Holy Spirit, just stop moving, because there's these little religious people down here that don't like it. I'm going to keep going after God. And they don't like the power of God. They don't like the gifts. They don't like people getting touched by God. And it just, you know, for whatever reason. And be ready for that. Be ready for the persecution. Some people can handle it. Some people can't, you know. And um, my wife and I love everybody deeply. You've got to understand, none of this I'm saying is from a wrong perspective. I hope I'm coming across right, y'all. But I don't have my faith horizontally. I have my faith vertically. He is going to make a way. He's going to do what he said he's going to do. I'm just telling you that he's spoken to me. There will be a move of God, and there will be a harvest for this ministry. And whoever is here when it happens is here. I'm not going to worry about it. And then the rapture. And this is a weird one to me. Because when I grew up, everybody believed in the rapture. All denominations, man. It wasn't like there was some that I mean, Well, some didn't. But I mean, the overwhelming majority of all Christianity, by and large, believed there was a rapture. And so when I got a little bit older and, and all these people started getting weird, I'm like, what in the world? But what happened is it's First Peter, man. Peter predicted it. He said, there will come a time in the latter days that there will be scoffers and mockers that will rise up saying, where is this coming of the Lord that you speak of? It's a fulfillment of end-time prophecy. And Jesus said in the latter days, deception would be on the earth. In Matthew 24, he said, watch out nobody deceive you. So Satan knows that one of the next big events to happen is the rapture. And so what's Satan doing? He's trying to attack that doctrine. And so I believe in the rapture, and I believe in a pre-trib rapture. So you better study this out for yourself, because as much as Pastor Scott loves everybody, that's going to be what I'm preaching 10 years from now. I'm just telling you. And some people don't like it. And you'll, know, Perry Stone, if you want to do a really good study on this, Perry Stone has an excellent teaching on the rapture. You can look it up on his website and get it. It's excellent. I think you can get it an audio or a video, but it's awesome. And he has like a book. And, you know, anybody that sincerely went through that whole thing with him, I mean, I think Christopher went through it. I mean, was it like six or seven long teachings i mean this is he goes in depth there's like a little booklet that goes with it okay by the end of it if somebody was really humble and listened to all of it and then they still didn't believe in the rapture they're just not going to believe in it you know i mean they've made up their minds they're convinced that they're right and they're just not going to believe no matter what because once you get to the end you're thinking okay there is a rapture another one is faith and believe in God for miracles. I'm going to be preaching that till I'm old. I'm to, I believe God. I believe in faith. And I believe in miracles. And I remember years ago, I was teaching. There's a book, The Bible Faith Workbook by Kenneth Hagin. That's excellent. I recommend everybody read it. But years ago, I was teaching a Sunday school class along these lines at a church. And there was a guy there that started giving me problems. He got mad because I was teaching on faith and healing. And again... It's just one of those things, it's like, why do people not want to believe that God heals today? But there's people that don't. And what it come out, he really gave me a hard time about it. He would try to argue with me while I'm preaching. But what it came out at the end was that he had a, re- a sister or something that he prayed for that didn't get healed. And so now he's against the healing ministry. He's against faith. <laughs> and it's like, man, you can't base doctrine on your little personal experiences in life. What would happen if I based all my doctrine on stuff I'd just been through and not the Bible? Man, you got to base your doctrine on what the Bible says. But some people do not believe. They believe, uh, it's called cessationism. They believe that everything died with the early church and they don't believe God moves today. Isn't that sad? To me, that's a pitifully sad view. you're, You're basically just on your own. I mean, you got saved, you know, and that's it. I mean, you might as well not even pray about anything. Anything ever happens in life, you just better bear it up, you know. And that's a sad view. All right, then here's the last one. The Hebrew Roots is kind of recent. You know, I asked you guys, that's why I asked you guys to read that book. Because I wanted you to understand from a biblical perspective. This is something that's controversial and misunderstood in some places. And so just be ready. Because down the road, as revival is raging, and here's, here's really what I want to get to. Luke forty fourteen twenty seven. Whoever does not carry his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which one of you, when he wants to build a tower, does not first set, sit down and calculate the cost to see if he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he's laid the foundation, it, he's not able to finish. All who observe it will begin to ridicule him, saying, this man began to build but was not able to finish. Or what king, when he sets out to meet another king in battle, does not first sit down and consider whether um, he is strong enough with his 10,000 men to encounter the one coming against him with 20,000. Or else, while the other is still far away, he sends a delegation to ask for terms of peace. So then none of you can be my disciples who does not give up all his own possessions. One day we're going to to stand before the Lord and give an account. And what i'm asking for river of life this is revival preparation i'm asking people to consider are you really ready to endure the stigma and the persecution that goes with a move of god i want you to think about it for a minute and whenever the critics want to start speaking against all these here they are okay ready all these false teachers and and, and and false prophets and master deceivers and all the words they like to throw around when they start using that your direction how many people are going to be able to plow through that I mean you even look in the natural at secular politicians and all the garbage they get hit with and they just seem to just keep walking right through it they don't let it phase them and you think about that and in christianity it's like we have the truth we're believing god it's like we should be able to walk right through that stuff and not let it affect us and i've done made up my mind i'm going after god and my faith is vertical i've been with the lord god spoke to me about things to come i've already seen it i know it's come that's not an issue i'm just trying to get people ready for what's coming this this move of the Spirit among us has just been to prepare, it's just been warming us up. It's getting things dealt with. It's been deeply consecrating our lives. You know, God's been preparing us. We've been preparing us through the altar ministry and, and people that have been soaking in God's presence for, for long periods of time. God's been touching you. God's been dealing with sin in our lives. All everybody dealing with it. You need to repent of this. You need to deal with this. You need to humble yourself. And God's been getting us ready. He's cleaning us up. He's He's preparing a wineskin so that He can pour out His Spirit. And I'm telling you, there's something coming. And I can smell the rain and I can feel it. I don't believe it's far off. And the Lord's gonna say, Cast your net on the other side. It's gonna be a supernatural harvest. But when that comes and the spiritual warfare starts coming, I want you to be ready. Are you ready? Should they start speaking evil against your pastor, speaking evil against your church? People are making fun. Can you handle that? It doesn't bother me. I have nothing to lose. A dead man cannot get offended when you've given up everything. You don't have anything. I remember Rodney Howard Brown said that. He said, I just don't have anything to lose. I don't either. I mean, what are they going to take? My reputation? What reputation? What are they going to take? There's nothing really to lose. Even if they kill you, you go to see Jesus. And that's worst case scenario. You really have nothing to lose. So the manifestations of the Holy Spirit. And this right here is what really gets some people. When God really comes down in power, I mean, you guys have only had a taste of what's coming. But overt acts of God produced by God cause the flesh to stumble most revivals at the beginning were rejected by people manifestations are an outward visible sign of an inward work of the holy spirit let me say again manifestations are an outward visible sign of an inward work of the holy spirit someone has to ask you know when there's manifestations of the holy spirit does it glorify god is it creating a hunger in people for god is it drawing people into a closer relationship with jesus Is it bringing true spiritual depth? Is there a practical change in someone's life that's seen over time? But you know, when the Holy Spirit is poured out and people come into the power of God collides with man, things start happening. And I remember how the Apostle Paul, if somebody, you can't, and I love this example, you can't take your camera, you have to take your video camera. Let me explain what I mean. If somebody was there when the Apostle Paul had his his encounter with Jesus and they just took a picture, they would see a man that was hearing voices, saw a vision, was thrown to the ground off his donkey, on the ground, blinded, being carried, you know, people helping him to the city, He's mumbling about something he saw, some vision. And if you just went there and you took a picture with your camera, you would think, this guy's crazy. I mean, this guy's lost his mind. But you have to take your video camera and you have to watch it over time. Because what happened was, Paul went from being somebody that was a murderer of Christians who was persecuting, violently persecuting the church, to after that radical encounter, became one of the greatest champions of Christianity. So the outworking of his crazy Holy Spirit manifestation was a changed life. You hear what I'm saying? And today, if somebody had an encounter like that at church... They came out, they were, think about it, they were thrown to the ground and blinded for three days. People helped them home. They're blind. People helped them home. How many people out there would say that's straight from the pit of hell? That is not God. That's the devil, man. You need to stay away from those crazy people. You said you, you saw Jesus. You heard him speak to you. Those people are crazy. You get away from them. But yet what Paul experienced was real. It was God, and his life was changed. So here's some things that people have problems with speaking in tongues. How in the world? That some of these I can at least understand, but I don't understand people having a problem with tongues because it's in the Bible clearly. It's not like there's an obscure scripture in the book of Philemon that nobody ever reads that mentions tongues. It's not like that. It's there for everybody to read. But they do. They don't like tongues. Also the one about falling under the power. People don't like that. My favorite story about people falling under the power. Because it is in the Bible. In multiple places. Here's several scriptures. But you remember when Jesus, the guards, now came. These are, these are heathen. How many of you guys know that Roman um, military men were not like pious men of God that just came from church and they were all prayed up. It wasn't like that. These were some heathen. And they all came out there and they're ready to arrest this Jesus and they're going there and and all of a sudden they say, you know, where's this Jesus? And he stands up and says, I am he. And all of them fall backward. It's in the book of John when Jesus is revealed as the I am anyway let me move on the people falling also deliverance in the middle of church you know some people if Jesus was to actually truly show up today in a lot of churches they'd kick him out it is the truth man he goes and spits on the mud outside makes mud he Right, and there's a blind guy, and he comes up, and he's rubbing mud on his eyes. He's praying for him, says, so "Go wash in the sink." You know as well as I do, they be all these guys would get up, you know, in their suits, get out of here, you, you heathen, you blasphemer, what are you doing? If Jesus was to come into church, I'm just telling you, and they started, you know, getting their saw. <laughs> think about getting their saw, and they start cutting a hole in the ceiling. <laughs> you know how much that ceiling costs? What is wrong with you, man? <laughs> they would run him off. They re- I'm just telling you, man. The the church of today is so far removed from the early church. It's very it's sad. When revival comes and it in church actually looks like the early church, it just is normal. They think, oh, that's a bunch of crazy stuff over there. Stay away. And it's like, man, it's just what you read in the Bible. But imagine deliverance from demons, right? So Jesus comes into a church service, and all of a sudden sister so-and-so starts shrieking with a demon, right? And he's casting it out. What do you think they're going to do? Man, this guy needs to get out of here and take these crazy people with him. But deliverance from demons happened in the church. Luke 4.33. Jerking, shaking, and trembling. Trances. What would happen today if Peter walked into a lot of churches? I was on this rooftop. I was hungry. All of a sudden, this sheet, I see this vision, I go into a trance. And the sheet's coming down. And <laughs> it opens up and there's all these, you know, animals that Jews aren't supposed to eat. And, and his voice is telling me, kill and eat, kill and eat. They'd be like, man, the sound guy, turn off his mic, turn, turn off his mic. You can see, you know, the people in the back, you know, now they got those secret service little things, right? All right, guys, and the, the guy on the left, get him out, get him real quick, just, yeah, turn, turn the camera, get him, you know. Peter would be escorted out of church. Shrieks, groaning, moaning, and wailing. You guys laugh because you know it's true. Some of this may be repetitious here, but intense weeping or laughing, deep bowing, being still and solemn. You know, it's it's the funniest thing, and sometimes a major explosion of the power of God. You guys might remember that one time we had that outcry. And we were at that gym. Remember that? It was just an it was just like the power of God just exploded. And there there was people all over the ground, all around us, were per- trying to pray for people in an orderly fashion. Okay? But I mean, there's, there's literally a person to my left that is getting delivered from something demonic. There's this other person that's bawling their eyes out, God's healing them or something. There's this person over here laughing their head off. I mean, it just looked like pandemonium. But at the end of it, when everything calmed down, there was testimonies like you would not believe from everywhere. drunk in the spirit visions and dreams people confessing sins and making things right with god and there there's a good holy spirit manifestation you know some people love the falling and the laughing and the crying and all that well what about repenting of our sin and making things right with people going to people you've wronged making it right major healings and miracles this is not necessarily an exhaustive list but this will give you an idea but when the holy spirit comes it's just an explosion of power and people's lives are going to be changed and some of you have already experienced many things some of you in the sound of my voice have been healed of something and you know you remember you've been delivered of things you've been baptized in the holy spirit you you've experienced the power of god for yourself and this is just a taste of what's coming and so in these next three sermons i want to try to get us ready but in this sermon i want to emphasize and i close with this are we ready for the persecution? You remember how I opened this thing up? The Lord was looking at Reuben and Simeon and they dropped the ball so he looked at Levi and Judah and all them. But remember Levi, are you and I zealous for the Lord's righteousness and holiness? Are you and I willing to stand up for the Lord? See, the Levites rallied to Moses, strapped a sword to their side and were willing to stand up for the Lord that day. Are you and I willing to to strap the word of God like a sword to our hip, and we're going to, you know, stand up for the Lord. So even though you may make fun of us, we still believe the Bible, we still believe God heals today, we still believe God delivers the captives today, we still believe in the power of God, we believe in the gifts, and we're not ashamed of it. We're not ashamed of the Holy Spirit. Are you willing to be that way? To stand up for the Lord, even though there's going to be religious Pharisees looking down their nose that you, you're some kind of lunatic. I don't know about you, but I know the Lord, as I say this, would be listening to this because I'm the pastor, but I'm willing to stand up for the Lord, and I'm not going to back off. And I think he knows my heart about that. And so I want to pray tonight for those that want prayer. Let's go ahead and shut down recordings.